This year's story is entitled, The Pageant at Gate E12. It was almost 11 p.m. when the show began. The waiting area outside Gate E12 had been converted into a theater, and the young actors readied themselves for the performance. Boys and girls of all shapes and sizes were grouped in functional bundles in and around the ticket counter and the area in front of the gate. It was then that a confident eight-year-old girl pointed to a tall, thin man with graying hair and a clerical collar. He strode to the center of the impromptu stage, opened the book he was holding, and began to read. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Slowly, the eight-year-old, cloaked in a pink bathrobe and a white scarf wrapped around her head, made her way to the center of the stage, arm in arm with a Joseph who just hours before swore he wouldn't be caught dead doing what he was about to do. Mary had a travel pillow stuffed under the robe, making it clear to all that she was great with child. Sarah and her daughter Olivia had arrived at O'Hare Airport at noon that day. Their flight was scheduled to leave at 3.30, but even before she arrived, Sarah knew that they'd be delayed. The snow had started falling at 8 in the morning. By 10, there was significant accumulation. At 3, she looked out the window and saw that it was snowing so hard you couldn't see beyond the end of the jetway. The weather app on her phone told her it was 10 degrees outside and dropping. She still hoped that they could make it to Minneapolis that night. The play's narrator continued, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, his fiancée, who was expecting a child. At this point, the actors came to life. Olivia, channeling her inner Mary, groaned, Joseph, she said with great drama, how much further can it be? I can't even take one more step. The baby is kicking me all over. Just a little further, Joseph said, clad in an untucked blue button-down Oxford shirt, and he was the preppiest-looking Joseph in dramatic history. You can make it, he said. I can see the star of the east just over there, pointing to a middle school-age boy holding up an iPhone in flashlight mode. The delay started the way they always do on bad weather days at O'Hare. First, at about 3 p.m., the airline said that the incoming flight had been delayed. Then at 4, that air traffic control had limited takeoffs and landings to one runway due to heavy snow. Please be patient as we work to get you to your destination as quickly as possible, the Harry Gate agent said. In front of her, a dozen angry and impatient first-class upgrade types acted as if she had ordered up the storm just to inconvenience them. The businessman seated next to Sarah left to find something to eat at a nearby sports bar, and a minute later, Sarah looked up to see an elderly black woman approach tentatively, her eyes asking, is that seat open? Sarah smiled and invited her to sit down. Thank you, the woman said, just as Olivia returned from wandering the gate area. Oh, I'm sorry, the woman said. Looks like I took your seat, sweetheart. Oh, no, Sarah said quickly. She can't sit still. If she needs a seat, she can sit in my lap. Okay, the woman said reluctantly. Ma'am, Olivia said abruptly, what's your name? Eleanor, the woman said, but you can call me Nellie. Are you old, Olivia asked. Olivia, that's not polite, said her mother. Nellie chuckled and said, yes, child, I am old enough to be your great-grandmother. 
You're a hundred, Olivia asked incredulously. Nellie laughed and said, no, but I am 87, born the same year as Dr. King. Olivia was then distracted by a family with two grade school age boys who took seats in an adjacent section. Never one to shy from a stranger, she went over to make some new friends. The play had reached the moment in the story when Joseph and his pregnant wife were looking for a hotel room. Clearly, the script included some creative embellishments. Olivia had recruited some of the angry, impatient, first-class upgrade types to be the innkeepers. One by one, they refused the holy couple accommodations. One, because a family reunion had been booked at the hotel for months. Another, because Joseph didn't carry an American Express card. But finally, the manager of the cheapest hotel in Bethlehem, a Motel One, said he had a place that they could use round the back. It was a barn where some of the travelers had left their donkeys and horses and camels and a crocodile. The latter had been the idea of a three-year-old who assumed that Bethlehem must be somewhere in Florida. Joseph said that he thought the barn sounded quite crowded, but Mary said she thought it would be just perfect as long as they had a manger. While Olivia was collecting the friends that would make up, end up making the cast of that evening's play, Nellie and Sarah were getting to know one another. You traveling to see family, Nellie asked. Sort of, Sarah answered. We're spending Christmas at my ex-husband's parents' home. Ooh, that sounds awkward, Nellie said, raising her eyebrows. It is, Sarah answered, but I love my in-laws. It's one of the reasons I married Jason. But since he left us, we haven't had much money and I haven't had much time. So Olivia's only seen her grandparents once in the last three years. They paid for this trip just so they could see her. I can see why you might be nervous, hon, Nellie said. Who are you going to see, said Sarah, changing the subject. My son James and his family. His daughter Tanya just had a little baby boy, my fifth great-grandbaby. What did they name him, Sarah asked. Nellie paused before answering. Robert, she said, after my late husband. Oh, I'm so sorry, Sarah said. That's okay, said Nellie. We were married for 68 years. Childhood sweethearts met in the church choir. I miss him, but I know he'd have been proud to know that there's a boy to carry on his name. Sarah did the mental math and realized that Nellie's Robert had not been gone long. Likely, this was her first Christmas without him. Do you have other children, Sarah asked. No, Nellie answered. We just had the one boy. Strange, though. Both Robert and I were from big families in Mississippi, but it took me several years to get pregnant, and then it just never happened again. But he's a good boy. Worked in accounting for General Mills. Just retired last year. But he's been trying to get me to move up there, but I just can't leave my friends and my church. The play's narrator continued. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. The children had carefully choreographed this part of the story. Mary started groaning. Joseph called for the innkeeper and ordered him to find a doctor. The doctor part had been vigorously debated. A middle school boy who'd previously given off a too-cool-for-Sunday-school vibe insisted that it wasn't necessary, but some of the older girls thought it was essential, especially if Mary were to need a cesarean. So one of the girls was dispatched to find a real doctor in the waiting area, and the young woman she found hardly looked old enough to be out of college, let alone out of medical school. And the newly appointed on-call OBGYN didn't have the heart to tell the cast that her specialty was dermatology. 
Sarah found Nellie easy to talk to. The nearly 55-year age gap seemed to help rather than hinder the conversation. A private person by nature, and particularly so since her divorce, Sarah found herself sharing more about the past four years with Nellie than she had with her own mother. She told her about Jason's infidelity, the lies, the financial deception, then the ultimate betrayal when he announced on a Friday afternoon that he was leaving her, that he was moving to Atlanta where he'd found a new residency, and that Anna, a woman Sarah had known well but never suspected of anything, was moving there with him. After years of working to put him through med school, she was alone. That is, except for four-year-old Olivia. Since then, it had just been the two of them. At one point in the conversation, Sarah asked Nellie about Robert's death. He died, she said, back in July. We were at church. It was hot and he was sweating. I didn't think anything about it at the time until the pastor was wrapping up the sermon. When Robert slumped, his head resting on my shoulder, at first I just thought he'd fallen asleep. He was 88 after all. But then I realized something was wrong. The ambulance came, but he was already gone. So what did you, you know, do after the funeral? Sarah asked, stumbling over the words because she didn't quite know how to ask the question. Oh, I don't know. I miss him every day. I cried for weeks, but I also have so many good memories. He was a good man, and we had many good years together. And I know I'll see him again. You see, I didn't really say goodbye to him. I was just saying so long. And frankly, honey, it may not be long before I'm laid out in that pine box too. You hear me? Tears welled up in both their eyes, but Sarah smiled. She just loved this dear old lady. And as much as she hated the weather delay, she was glad their paths had crossed. About this time, Olivia, a bit bored and very hungry, came back to her mom. The three of them agreed that Sarah would go in search of food, and 20 minutes later, she came back with sandwiches, some chips, and three bottles of water and a few cookies. That's when they had the conversation that led to the pageant that would cap off the evening. It started simple enough when Nellie asked Sarah and Olivia if they'd be going to church on Christmas Day. And Olivia simply said, we don't go to church. Sarah jumped in quickly, trying to save face. My family was never the church-going type, she said, and once Jason and I got married, it just never seemed like much of a priority. Sometimes I wonder if Olivia and I should go. It certainly wouldn't hurt, but I don't know the first thing about church, and I'd feel, you know, so awkward. Oh, you don't need to know anything, hon. Just go. Find a place that will take you as you are. Some churches are a bit stuffy, but not all of them. I think you'd love Jesus. He's all about binding up the wounds of the brokenhearted. That's you and me, honey. Sarah smiled and inside cried just a little too. That's when Olivia inserted herself into the conversation. Miss Nellie, she began, can you explain the Christmas story to me? I get it all so confused. Olivia insisted that Nellie start from the beginning, so she told her first about Elizabeth and Zachariah and their son John. And then she told her how the angel visited Mary, how he told her that she would become pregnant with God's son. With all the questions Olivia asked, it took a while for Nellie to get through the story. But Sarah was grateful for her daughter's inquisitiveness. She'd had many of the same questions and would have felt embarrassed to ask. After the birth sequence, which did not, fortunately, require a C-section, they laid the baby in the manger, which was made up of two roller bags stacked on top of each other. At first, Olivia had been holding out for a live baby, and there were several in the gate areas. But when the mother saw the manger, they politely declined. So they settled for a borrowed American girl doll named Josefina. Some of the children were concerned about the gender of the baby, but they had to make do with what they had. 
The idea for putting on the pageant came about 9 p.m. when the Delta Gate agent finally conceded that no one would be leaving the airport that evening. Everyone had already missed their Christmas Eve plans and now it looked like they might not be home until noon on Christmas Day. There were some unhappy travelers, but most had adjusted their expectations and resigned themselves to the fact that they'd be spending the night in an airport. Armed with her newly acquired Bible knowledge and what looked like hours of free time, Olivia decided that the children in the waiting area needed to put on a play, so she started rounding up an army of actors. That's when she saw Father Pat. Hey, mister, she said to a man wearing a clerical collar, are you God? <laughs> no, he laughed, but I am a friend of his. Oh, she said, then what's your name? Patrick, he said, but most call me Father Pat. Father Pat, she said solemnly, we're doing this play about Christmas, and I think we need someone to play God. Would you do it? I'd be delighted to, he said, but I don't think you need someone to play God. Perhaps I could be your narrator. It turned out that there were lots of details to work out. The story was fuzzy in more than one of the children's minds. One of the girls wanted to know what an angel looked like. I don't know for sure, said another. Maybe kind of like a big white fairy? Three boys were recruited to be wise men, and they weren't too impressed with two of the gifts. They understood gold, but frankincense and myrrh? Clearly unimpressed, one of them said, what about some real presents, like a PlayStation or an Xbox, even some cookies or something? Don't you think Jesus would like some cookies, he said? One of the shepherds said they needed names, and he had dibs on Harold. Another said that he would be the German shepherd. <laughs> At one point, an argument broke out over where Bethlehem was. One thought it was near Chicago. Another said it was a long way away. I think, he said, it's in England. That's not right, Olivia said. It's in the Holy Land, although her grasp on where that was wasn't great. After the three of them were unable to come to an agreement, she took them over to Nellie. This lady here, she said, she's the expert. You listen to her. No, children, said Nellie, Bethlehem isn't near Chicago or London, but it is a very long way off. With Mary and Joseph gazing at the Josephina Jesus resting on top of the makeshift manger, Father Pat helped, them ca helped the cast transition to the next act. There were, he read, shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. As he read, a single angel dressed in a white nightgown and a white stocking cap with a red pom-pom approached the small band of shepherds, including Harold and the German shepherd. Father Pat continued, and lo, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. But the angel said to them, and with that, the nightgown-clad angel spoke up, assisted by a small index card in her left hand. Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you, which is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And at that moment, the rest of the angels, dressed in an array of bright colors and illuminated by half a dozen smartphone flashlight apps, came out from behind the ticket counter and said in unison, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Then the angels returned to hide behind the ticket counter while the shepherds made the short journey to the manger and the holy family. And Father Pat continued his narration. Mary heard all that the shepherds had to say about what they had heard, and she treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. Sarah watched her daughter gaze lovingly at the baby Jesus, and she started to tear up. 
The simple beauty of the story, lifting the sadness that had been her constant companion for four years. She knew that this was a moment that she too would treasure for the rest of her life. The story shifted to the wise men who brought their treasures, including a half-eaten package of Oreos. Where is the one born king of the Jews, one of them said, followed by the other who said, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. The three knelt down on their knees before the child and reached out to offer their treasures to the family. And with that, Father Pat returned to the stage and read, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. To all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the power to become the children of God. Father Pat closed the Bible and exited the stage. Uncertain if there was more, it was completely quiet, and Olivia, as Mary, sensed what needed to come next. She gathered the baby in her arms, and with Joseph left the stage. The shepherds and the wise men followed. Then one, and then two, and then the rest of the stranded passengers began to clap, the cast returning to the stage to take their bows. Earlier, one of the business travelers had gone down to the Cinnabon a few gates away. The employees stuck for the night just like the rest, agreed to make as many cinnamon rolls as they could. A couple of others, aware of what he was doing, had bought as much orange juice as they could find from the various vendors throughout the gate area. So when the performance ended, the Minneapolis-based flight crew sprang into action. They divided the cinnamon rolls into quarters and poured the juice into small airline cups they secured from a storage area. By now, it was nearly midnight, almost Christmas Day. Already some of the youngest among them were sleeping. The cast, heady with the success of their performance, wouldn't get tired for at least another hour. But eventually they too found places to sleep, on benches or on the floor. Space opened up, so Olivia was able to sit between her mother and Nellie. She leaned against her mother's shoulder and soon fell asleep. Nellie too had dozed off. But Sarah sat weary, yet full of a peace that had eluded her for years. Somehow she felt that one chapter of her life was ending and another about to begin. She felt the power of this story could do more than warm her heart. It could change her life.